Amen. We're starting a new series today on the 12 minor prophets. We're at the beginning of a big journey. These 12 books are at the very end of the Old Testament. You can turn to the first one right now if you want. We'll get to the book of Hosea. But they're minor prophets just because their text is smaller than, say, the major prophets of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. These guys have a smaller bit of writing, but it's kind of like a shot of espresso compared to a pot of tea. Both have the same amount of caffeine, but these small prophets will punch you uh, and get you. So, so turn to the book of Hosea. Let me say a little bit more about the series is called Everyday Prophets. And it's this idea that we are all prophets. We believe, don't we, that the Lord is speaking and he speaks to everyday people. And some of these prophets were just townspeople, farmers, everyday people who had a message from God. God gave them a message and they gave it to the people. So they're called minor prophets. A couple jokes. They're not called minors because they're young, uh, under 18. They're not called minors because they work in caves. Okay, some of you aren't even smiling. I see that camera right there. I have an online audience right now, and they are just laughing. I imagine them just rolling. So if you guys don't want to laugh at my jokes, that's okay. We'll move on. Actually, I don't have any more jokes. Today's message on Hosea, it's pretty serious. There's there's quite a deep feeling that goes with the reading of the book of Hosea. And let me give you this image. It's a metaphor. It's a story. It's a true story, but it's kind of an image of what a prophet is like, their role. So in 1936, just a couple years before World War II, the king of England had a message, a speech, and he was going to give this speech. And we in the United States were going to broadcast it live. So there's a cable that goes over the un- under the ocean and we had the, uh, the communication come in and just a couple minutes before this live speech by the king, someone made a mistake. They tripped over the wire, accidentally snapped the wire and severing the connection between the king and all of the rest of the United States and the world uh, on the east side. And so what a quick thinking engineer thought to do because he knew it was a low voltage uh, power and he knew the, the transmission would go through his body. He took one end of the wire the going to the king and the other end of the wire going to the people. And for the length of the speech, he was the connection in between. And I think about that in the role of a prophet. A prophet is kind of like that one hand communicating to the king, the Lord of Lords, and the other hand communicating to the people. And that's a beautiful image. It's a powerful one. That's why I shared it. But it's missing something, especially when we get to uh, Hosea, because Hosea doesn't just transmit this message word for word from God. He also lives it. We get a sense of God's feelings for his people. See, the message in Hosea is quite simple. God loves you. Three words. God loves you. In fact, if you've been going to church since a kid, you've been singing about it, hearing it. There was a ministry in Manitou for a long time uh, that just gave out little orange stickers. Do you remember this? Just said, God loves you. There's bumper stickers that say, God loves you. If no one has ever told you God loves you, I'm telling you right now. God loves you. But what does that mean? What are the feelings behind that? What kind of love does God love us with? Well, that's where we'll turn to the book of Hosea and see just how incredibly, wonderfully 
deep this love goes. So if you're in the book of Hosea, if you're on your phones, it's spelled H-O-S-E-A. If you're in your paper Bibles, it's the 12th book from the end of the Old Testament. And we are specifically going to be in chapter three. I heard a commentator, and I've been thinking about this all week. He says this, that the greatest prophetic passage in all of the word of God is this chapter, chapter three of the book of Hosea, just five simple verses tells us the story of Hosea. So let us read it now. Hosea chapter three, verse one, the Lord said to me, so this is Hosea speaking. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, although she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. What in the world is going on here? Well, if you know the story, Hosea is married to a woman named Gomer and they have three kids together and then she breaks the promise. She becomes unfaithful. We find out that she is not just an adulteress, but she actually sells herself and has sold herself in some sort of ancient form of prostitution, slavery to another man. Imagine for a minute the shame of Hosea. Imagine the dishonor. Imagine, especially in this ancient culture, he had every secular legal right to divorce her, to never talk to her again, to just put that shame and everything horrible behind him. Instead, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and she is an adulteress. It continues, love her as the Lord loves Israel. And here's some insight here. This is all a huge metaphor for just how much the Lord loves us. God loves you. We say that. We see it on bumper stickers. But how much does he love us? Well, it's kind of like this love. A love that chases a woman down even though she is running away in an affair. Although, uh, let's see, let me start this over. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, although they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Here, this whole thing is going to be a simile. Uh, As the Lord loves the Israelites, so Hosea is being told, go to your wife and love her. The metaphor here of the raisin cakes is certainly there's nothing wrong with raisins. Certainly there's nothing wrong with cakes. But this image of the sacred raisin cakes, what is this? I've done some research and finding some commentaries and ancient understandings of what this could have been. And it's obviously the the fact that it's a sacred raisin cake. It's sacred to another God. And it has to represent, because it's mentioned uh, at other times in other scriptures, as this luxurious food, as rich living, as something that distracts us from the Lord. And the Israelites have turned to these things. Instead of worshiping the Lord, they are worshiping in a way the prosperity that the Lord has brought. We find out in the previous chapter, chapter two of the book of Hosea, we're in three. So right before this, we find out that Hosea is boasting, or excuse me, Gomer, the wife is boasting about my wool, my linen, my olive oil, my drink, forgetting that it is actually Hosea, the husband who has given her these things. This is an image of God's People, this is an image of us, if we're honest, many times going after the things God gives us that are that are the things of this world and not seeking the creator himself. So the raisin cakes, I wrote it down like this, stand for the flourishing vineyards, the swelling bank accounts, and the people are going to these things and forgetting about the God who makes the rain fall and the sun shine. That's just verse one. Verse two is this continues the story. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver 
and about a homer and a leketh of barley. This is a huge amount of money. This is half a year's wage that he loads up. 15 pieces of silver and a huge amount of barley, something like 400 pounds of barley. To do what with? Well, to go purchase his own wife. Think about like the trail of of donkeys or mules or however he would have got 400 pounds-ish of barley to this other man who has his wife in some sort of deal where she has sold herself. Imagine the shame. Imagine the dishonor of this, this scene being played out where a husband is going to purchase his own wife. I think about the way in which Hosea is doing it. He's doing it humbly. He's doing it just by giving of himself. He could have. I mean, this is his own wife. He could have with force. God is like thought like, I am going to get my wife back. I don't have to pay this guy. I don't owe him nothing. I am going to by force get her. And I think about the, like the disarray that would have been. That that's not the way of the Lord. The Lord's ways are humble. The Lord's, Lord's ways are the ways of love. I think about the things, because you will all, I assume, talking about it, what happened this week on Wednesday, January 6th, the storming of the Capitol, the, the total disregard for police officers and law enforcement breaking in, taking down, dismantling. And I think, like, Hosea is not doing it that way. Hosea is going humbly to pay his own wife's debt. He could have gone in with force, but instead he goes humbly with all this money, half a year's wage, in order to to buy her back, to set her free. You guys see, I mean, this is like, wow. This is how much the Lord loves us. The Lord loves us like that. And this, this silver thing, uh, 15 pieces of silver and all this barley in the ancient world, I think people would have known that this amount of bar- barley was worth about 15 shekels. So he splits it off, half, half cash, half uh, crop, and together it would have been 30 shekels. And this in the Old Testament, uh, 30 pieces of silver, 30 shekels of silver is the amount someone would need to give. If you wanted to purchase a slave and then set the slave free, this was the amount that you could use to do that. 30 pieces of silver is also an amount used in the New Testament. Do you remember? It's the exact amount that Judas betrays Jesus with. And so here's Jesus. I think as a New Testament reader, we look back and be like, here's a very similar scene. Like someone is purchasing, Jesus is dying for us. And there's this exchange of money for slavery and and in a sense, and it's 30 pieces of silver. Let's move on. Verse three says this. Then I told her, so he goes and gets her. I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or to be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Hosea is reestablishing this covenant with his wife. And then he provides this warning. Uh, This warning is in verses four and five that have to do with the context. And I'll tell you a little bit about the context in a few minutes about what's going on here. But Hosea is writing to the people of Israel in a time of prosperity saying that there's gonna be some hard times ahead and it's all because I want you to turn to me. Verse four says this way, for the Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household goods. Basically, there's going to be a time of disaster. And verse five says, afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. 
This is the word of the Lord. And everyone said, thanks be to God. Lord, we pray to you. And Lord, we first just come to you and say thank you that, Lord, your love to us is somehow like this love between Hosea and Gomer that, Lord, as we, your people, we all make mistakes. We have fallen short. Lord, while in our sin, you came to rescue us. And so, Lord, we only say this morning, thank you. And we praise you and we love you, Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, amen. Amen. So Hosea, this book, the first of the 12 books of the minor prophets, his name means salvation, which is the same root word for Yeshua, Joshua. It's the same root word for Hosanna. It's all the Lord saves. The Lord rescues would be maybe a better way to put it because this word salvation sometimes gets lumped into like Christianese and we just say it and kind of forget its meaning. But really the word rescued, the Lord rescues is Hosea's name. And that is literally what he does in this situation. He goes and rescues his own wife, Gomer, out of slavery to set her free. Gomer represents kind of our mistakes. Even the name Gomer. Anybody, anybody naming their daughter Gomer? If you, if you have a list of names for your daughter, Gomer's probably not one of them. If you know a Gomer, God bless her. Um, I'm sure she's a wonderful lady. And I, I imagine the name like represents God's redemption. But Gomer, like I instantly think of Gomer Pyle. Anybody else? Gomer, like that's the name. Like she is the one who runs off and leaves her husband and three kids that leaves and and runs off. She, uh, I was listening to a sermon uh, of a preacher I respect, and he kept referring to her as Gomer, the go-go girl. And I just thought, yeah, like that's, isn't that kind of all like, uh, like, don't we run away from the Lord and the Lord is right there running after us? If you don't know that, please like believe it. Like that's the gospel. The Lord is running after us in his love. So let me give you a little background and this will help us through this whole 12 week series that'll actually take us to Easter uh, of the minor prophets. And I'll be very brief with the background stuff. This is kind of a nerdy stuff, nerd alert. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I'll be very, I think of whenever I'm like, man, I'm about to lose people. I always think of this quote uh, by Stephen Hawking, the astrophysicist who wrote a book I had to read in high school I, and college because I was a science major, A Brief History of Time. Anyone ever read that book? Uh, it's like a lay person's approach to learning astrophysics. And he, I guess his original writing of this book had all these equations and the editors came to him and said, listen, Stephen, for every equation, you are going to lose half of your audience. And so he took all the equations out. And so I figure like how for every minute right now I spend with the historical background of Israel and Judah and the kingdoms, I am going to lose half of you. So I will be very brief. So does everyone know David, King David? So King David, uh, David and Goliath becomes king. He is like the king of kings, the golden age of of Israel, all 12 uh, tribes together. David is ruling them. It's a wonderful time. David is a man after God's own heart. He's leading people to the Lord as he is ruling. David has a son, kind of continues this golden age. David's son is 
So I could tell I'm losing all of you. I'm losing half of you already. So David's son is Solomon. He continues this golden age. He builds the temple for the Lord, leads people to the Lord as he leads these 12 tribes. And then things begin to change. Uh, Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. And under Rehoboam's uh, reign, it's confusing enough already, there's a guy named Jeroboam, not to be confused with Rehoboam, but Jeroboam splits off uh, the kingdom. And so there's a northern kingdom now and a southern kingdom. There's civil war, there's, there's fighting, there's the, the north and the south, and the northern kingdom wants nothing to do with the Lord's ways. They have run away. They're very prosperous, but they have run away from the Lord, similar to the scene of Gomer running away from her own husband. This northern kingdom has run away and they're worshiping false gods. Hosea is preaching and prophesying during a most horrible king, Jeroboam, that same name again, but the second, who is leading the people away from the Lord and into Baal worship. And there's prosperity as far as like uh, luxury and people making money and the economy's booming. But everyone is walking away from the Lord. Enter Hosea. And so here we have this prophet who writes 14 chapters, this this wonderful story in the midst of all these poetic prophecies to the people, telling everyone just how much God loves them. And God loves you. And it's in the midst of this story that we get a sense of the feelings for just how much God loves us. So I have three movements, not really three points, but three movements uh, here in this sermon. And we'll kind of close with these three things because we see this in the book of Hosea. We see this throughout the Bible. And if we are honest, we see this in our own lives. The first movement is this, a covenant between God and human. Like the Lord comes to us and enters us into covenant with him. Think of Hosea and Gomer and they have three children. They have a marriage. Things are together. Things are under covenant. Think of uh, the first pages of the Bible, the Garden of Eden. God is walking and talking with his own people. And there's, it's just paradise. It's wonderful. Think of uh, Mount Sinai where God says he's going to be the people's God and they, uh, God is going to be their God and he's going to be their, uh, yes, yes, that's my wife said it for me. Um, Think of this, this, this moment where this covenant is established. And then what happens? Movement number two, the second movement is that humans break the covenant. God doesn't break his covenant, but humans break the covenant. Gomer runs away from Hosea and sells herself into this slavery, prostitution situation, her unfaithfulness. Think of the image of the prodigal son asking for the father, father, give me all the money you would give me when you were dead. And I am going to go out and live how I want to live. Like humans wreck the covenant. Think of the image of the Israelites getting out of the slavery of Egypt going through the Red Sea, the miracle of the Red Sea splitting. They get on the other side, a couple days pass, and then what do they want? They want to go back to slavery because there's not enough food. They say, well, at least we had food in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here to die? And they go their own way. Think about uh, the, the moment of Mount Sinai where God is giving his covenant to Moses and he's up there uh, like a, not even a month and a half, 40 days. He comes back down and what have the people done? They've built for themselves a golden calf. This is the second movement. Humans break the covenant. If we are honest, we all 
Walk away from the Lord. And where is the Lord? Well, here's this third movement. And I'll kind of close with this point here. The third movement is this, the restoration carried out by God. Hosea's going and finding Gomer and bringing with him the price to purchase her back, to set her free out of this horrible relationship that she has sold herself into. God is chasing us, although we are rebellious and walking away from him. There's this very famous uh, set of verses uh, in chapter two of Hosea, verses 19 and 20, and I'll read them for us. And these are read by every Jewish man every morning, uh, an Orthodox Jew. If you've ever seen Jewish people wrap uh, the leather uh, kind of laces around their arm, has anybody ever seen that? If you've been to Israel or if you know of any Orthodox Jews, it's called phylacteries and they wrap them around their hand. And it's a symbol that the Lord is binding himself to us and we are binding our ourselves to the Lord. It's it's a beautiful symbol. And so Jewish people, men wrapping this around their arms will say this, these two verses. It says this chapter two, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. I will acknowledge the Lord. Think about this as being said to you, to, to the Lord by you and the Lord to you. Like the Lord is redeeming you. The Lord is redeeming us and restoring to us the covenant relationship that we had until we walked away from him. So the very good news today, the, the news that will lead us to the table this morning is that the Lord loves us. The Lord is chasing us down in his love. And the Lord has a price for us, like to purchase us, and it is his own body and blood. He wants us to know that he is like Hosea, chasing after a wife that maybe doesn't even want to be with him, but is running and in need of being set free of slavery. The Lord is chasing us and wants to redeem us and to set us free. So would you stand with me? And if, if you um, want to receive communion, they're in the baskets. There is the, are these little cups and bread will come in just a moment to lead us to this moment. But this is for everyone. If you, I see a couple new faces. If, if you would like to receive communion, the, the question for you is this. Do you want the Lord to redeem you, to buy you back from slavery, to set you free? Is the Lord your redeemer? Well, then you can come, come to this table. Would you quiet yourself? And then Brett will lead us.